0: The past few years have illuminated, among other things, the dangers of loneliness. Most evolutionary biologists highlight that humans are social creatures and pack animals. We are not bigger, stronger, or tougher than most apex predators. Our advantages lie in how we can communicate with a level of complexity that no bear, lion, or wolf can approach. This allows a sophistication of collaboration unseen on prior Earth creatures. This interconnectedness, however, also means that humans need intimate and positive relationships with each other in order to remain content and healthy. Research has found that prolonged social isolation leads to higher risk of heart disease, high blood pressure, obesity, anxiety, a weakened immune system, depression, cognitive decline, dementia, and even death. Unfortunately, we live in a neoliberal world community that believes that every human action is inherently transactional and can therefore be optimized by commodifying it. Many of us can't pay our bills without working 50 to 70 hour weeks, often in positions filled with isolating busy work. Such an arrangement prevents us from organizing and maintaining our communities, often by design, and this is something that we absolutely need to do in order to preserve our health and sanity. The cult of the individual forgets that no one is meant to be an island. This plague of loneliness, at least to me, lies at the heart of Gatlop, a horror comedy shot during the COVID-19 pandemic and focused on four friends struggling to reconnect after a decade apart from each other. We'll be taking a close look at how Gatlop was made and how it comments, unintentionally perhaps, on the environment it emerged from. My name is Ryan. This is a real deep dive, and I wrote all of that before actually seeing the movie, so I was wondering how much of it actually works in the context. <laughs> and I think it mostly does.
1: It's a little, little deep, but I like it.
0: This movie does go places, but it is very silly. Anyways, joining me on this is uh, my brother Sylvan. Hello. And my sister Cheryl, and this is Cheryl's pick.
1: Ha, You liked this one. They can
2: hear it in your
1: voice. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah. So what, what what's that streak for you now?
1: I think I've gotten Ryan to watch two movies now that he's liked that he hasn't seen before.
0: Uh, yeah, I also liked Slacks.
1: Two. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, uh, what made you pick this one?
1: Uh, I was trying out a new streaming service, and I I stumbled across it, and I really enjoyed it. And I thought that it would be fun to do something a little bit lighthearted for a change
0: this does go places that are not quite so lighthearted, but yes, there is a goofiness that permeates most of the scenes.
1: And it's got like that like really sweet like nostalgia kind of feel to it.
0: Yeah, we'll be getting to that as well. It does strike me as like one of those high concept elevator pitch. You can reduce this down to one sentence horror comedies. It's not so much like the A24 mold that seems to be hepped with the jive lately, but this could have easily been a Shutter original.
1: I mean, Yeah, yeah, Um, now that I'm getting into Shudder, I actually know what you're talking about, so hooray. (laughs) Uh,
0: Sylvan, what's your hot take?
2: Uh, I'm surprised how much I enjoyed it, given um, track records and all, I I wasn't sure. (laughs) So I I do think, though, that me having low expectations led to the enjoyment because um, parts of it were very much not my thing. It's really heteronormative and the characters are icky, but that's part of the point. When I was going over the reviews for
0: it, uh, it seemed to sink or swim depending on whether the critic found the characters relatable or grating. Or grating because they're relatable in ways that the critic maybe found uncomfortable.
1: (laughs) They 100% remind me of ex-boyfriends I have from my early 20s. Just
0: 100%. And yet they're all like 34. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, I, I don't think those people like grew as people, Ryan. I think my exes are still who they are. <laughs>
0: Gatlop doesn't have any plot synopsis that I could find online, like the Wikipedia page is a stub, the IMDB page is also a stub, so I had to cobble together a synopsis from reviews, and a lot of it is very wrong, but I will do my best with what I was able to dig up beforehand and then fill in with whatever I just saw. All right. Our main character in this is Paul, a man we meet while he's finalizing a divorce with his unfaithful wife. Temporarily crashing with his unambitious friend Cliff, Paul is unsurprisingly despondent over the developments of his life of late. Looking to cheer up his old buddy, Cliff invites their old friend Sam and Troy over for a presumably fun night of reconnection. The evening, however, turns awkward fairly quickly. The members of the group all went their separate ways years ago and haven't really kept in touch since. Sam moved on to a high-pressure producing job that sucks all her time and energy away. Dominic has been trying to make it as an actor in L.A. and has so been struggling. So
2: he Troy then, huh?
0: You know, he's credited in the end credits as Dominic, but they keep calling him Troy.
2: I'm not sure.
1: I <laughs> wonder if it's, like, Troy is a nickname or... Because, yeah, the whole movie they call him Troy. Yeah. it's
2: even Troy in the on the phone and in the text when they're introducing everybody with the pictures with their names scribbled on them. It says Troy then, too. And maybe, in
0: the end credits, he's called Dominic. On the Wikipedia and IMDb page, the character is called Dominic. Fuck it, I'm calling him Troy.
1: Maybe maybe <laughs> Troy's his last name and that's that's what they do. They call him by his last name.
0: Anyways, Sam and Dominic Troy were once a romantic <laughs> couple, and now their friendship is tenuous at best. The gang's former chemistry sparters out swiftly, motivating Cliff to find an activity to break the ice. He suggests Gatlop, Gauntlet in Swedish, which I should have looked up, but according to the movie, it's Gauntlet. This is an obscure board game that Cliff found secondhand in a credenza he just acquired.
1: Credenza? I'm getting one. <laughs>
0: Troy and Sam kind of want to peace out, because this is just sort of fizzling, but uh, Paul has an awkward conversation on the phone with his ex that they all hear, and they're feeling sorry for him, so they're like, what the hell, let's play the game.
1: And they're so subtle just being at the door, and when he shows up, they just turn around and face the wall. At
0: least one of them wasn't holding a glass to the door. (laughs) play is begun somewhat reluctantly and takes a turn when the game starts making weirdly specific demands of the players, usually telling them to reveal deep personal secrets that they would not want to um, discuss in front of their old estranged friends. The stakes get higher when after fibbing about some personal details Cliff gets an arrow fired into his leg that was intended for Paul but they already knew that there was something supernatural going on because they couldn't get in or out the windows are screwed up and um
2: they accidentally <laughs> summoned jilted middle school date oh <laughs> good
0: Cliff was like yeah this girl invited me to the dance and then she ditched me so if I could tell anybody to go fuck themselves it'd be her she teleports it the bathroom no idea what the hell is going on the only way to get
2: holding her baby (laughs) it's like
1: i can't do it but she's holding a baby
0: (laughs) so cliff has to nut up and tell her to fuck off so she gets out of this hellscape Anyways, things just keep escalating from there, and after looking at the rules that they sort of casually tossed aside, they realize that if they do not complete the game in a satisfactory way before sunrise, they will be doomed to play Gatlop in hell for the rest of eternity.
1: Yay! (coughs) Like any board game that goes on too long with friends.
0: Yeah, this is just a more literal depiction of Monopoly. (laughs) (laughs) Or Risk. Anyway, as it keeps going, the uh, various players have to start revealing more and more intense secrets about each other. At this point, Troy has to reveal that he had shared a drunken kiss with Paul's wife before she married him. Sam has to confront the fact that since she was so laser focused on work, she blew off her mom with a series of expletives on the very last conversation she had with her before his stroke killed her, and that scene was rough to sit through.
2: Oh my gosh, she's such a good actress. Yeah, I would say that that was the most impressive part of the movie, in my opinion.
0: Well, another impressive part of the movie is when in the middle uh, Sam has to leave everyone in a 1980s jazzercise of <laughs> routine
2: that part was real good too yeah
0: yeah that is when um sylvan was convinced that that's when we would have died
1: <laughs> group coordinated activity woohoo
0: we admit that um, we probably would have read the rules for the, of the game first before starting. However, all of us are lightweight or do not drink at all, so that wouldn't have worked.
2: We yeah. probably would have modified the rules to suit the fact that we don't drink, <laughs> and I don't know if that would allow the evil demon possessing the board game to do its thing.
0: <laughs> Otherwise, the climax of the game, right before sunrise is when Paul has to confront the specter of his ex-wife and deal with what is actually responsible for his failures. He decides that it's himself, which takes him to uh, another land where he talks to um, ex-wife Specter and she assures him that, yeah, he and his friends probably didn't deserve this, but you're not good people or bad people. You're just people. Uh, that sucks them out of it. The The four peoples uh, have reconnected and start building new relationships with each other after going through the gauntlet. Uh, the movie ends with them giving the game to uh, the ex-wife's shitty new boyfriend, who's like 50, although...
2: 50, 70...
0: <laughs> yeah, the, the movie says that he's not quite 50 yet, but that if he's 49, that's a rough 49. Anyways, end of film as best as I can uh, compartmentalize it based on what I have here.
1: (laughs) I think you did really well.
0: Yeah, well, we'll we'll see how I feel about that when I'm in the editing room. (laughs) Anyways, the development for this. uh, Writer and lead actor, Jim Mahoney, conceived of Gatlop while visiting friends. They were supposed to go out and do something, but someone pulled out a weird board game and suggested they give it a quick playthrough. This devolved into a drinking game, and three hours later, everyone was amazed at how they scuttled their fun night on the town and got sucked into this dumbass game. Uh, (laughs) Jokes began flying about how the game have some supernatural lore like Jumanji or Zathura, and suddenly Mahoney had an elevator pitch.
1: I mean, that's fair. Uh,
0: Mahoney had collaborated with director and editor Alberto Belli on a number of short films, commercials, and viral internet videos, so it wasn't a surprise that Belly was receptive to the project. What does get me is that Belli also directed and edited. Most directors do not trust themselves to be their own editors. Uh, the only noteworthy director who is his own editor was Akira Kurosawa, nobody else. I think the, um... The thinking behind directing is that they shouldn't be in the editing room for the first cut because they'd be like, you can't get rid of that scene. That took all damn day. That's my baby. You can't kill my baby. Whereas the editor does not have that attachment and they're like, it doesn't suit the storytelling. Out it goes.
1: I like that. Like you want, I always like having somebody to keep my logic in check. So that's it, good to have a second set of eyes.
0: Yeah, Martin Scorsese, like, he refuses to even watch any of his footage until his editor puts together a rough cut. He's had the same editor since, like, 1975. I forget her name, but he trusts her. So, yeah, Billy is uh, braver than Martin Scorsese. Take that, good fellas.
1: He says with so much enthusiasm.
0: (laughs) Anyways, uh, Mahoney wrote the script with specific actor friends of his to play the characters, but these plans fell apart when the pandemic hit. Belly scored a very small budget. Every interview I read about this emphasized how they had no goddamn money to spend. And he found a house big enough to fit camera equipment, but small enough to not seem extravagant for a working-class man living in temporary digs during a divorce. They contracted an agency in Argentina to design the board game and also create the opening title sequence.
1: I love that opening title sequence so much. They did such a good job.
0: Yeah, uh, title sequences are a bit passé in modern filmmaking. Uh, they're descended from overtures in opera and stage musical, and mostly exist to signal that the show was starting and that people should find their seats. This idea became obsolete in movie theaters after the roadshow era ended, and it's even more quaint in an era where watching movies at home is the main thrust. But I kind of miss the opening title sequences. They give you an idea of what the movie's vibe is going to be and what to expect. You know, just how like uh, opera and musical theater will stay the key motifs and the overture and yeah it made you think of like honey the sh- I shrunk the kids and that sort of thing
2: oh, it was very nostalgic
1: right and like on, like, it's a nice cue that you know people can sit down and shut the fuck up
0: And yeah, they don't really do opening credit sequences anymore, aside from, like, Bond movies. And I guess sort of Star Wars, if you count The Crawl.
1: There's a lot of focus there for The Crawl, though.
0: Yeah, I mean, the Marvel movies have closing sequences that basically function the same way, but they're at the end of the movie instead of the beginning. But then, like, at that point, the movie's over and the audience is checked out. Like, why is this here?
1: Well, because they want you to read the credits. People were hard on the movie.
0: So put it in the front. Because of the pandemic, Mahoney and Belly did not meet any of the actors in person until the day of the shoot. Even with all the precautions in place, filming was halted for a day and a half due to a false positive test. Uh, There was some concern that the four main players would not be able to build a rapport with each other since they, you know, didn't have any time for rehearsals or anything. Although, um, according to the director in the promotional interview where they're trying to convince you to see the movie, everyone clicked right away and it was just all fun and games.
2: I think they did have chemistry, so... Oh, yeah, good energy. Even if he's exaggerating, there's probably truth to it. Uh,
0: Mahoney claims about 75 to 80% of his script wound up in the film verbatim, but he adds that each of his co-stars suggested line revisions and that everyone was encouraged to improvise.
1: That's probably why it felt so loose and why it felt like they were friends.
0: Yeah, I picked up little bits here and there like when um Shelley Henning who plays the ex-wife Alice, she says, "You look good with a suntan." Apparently she just tossed that in there. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I I appreciate that because there should be some reference made to the fact that at this point in the movie, he has been zapped back from hell, (laughs) (laughs) but she's in the real world where she hasn't been involved in a possessed demon board game, so she should notice that there's something off about his appearance.
0: Uh, the wall of Polaroids was Belly's idea, and uh, pretty much the entire movie was shot in that one house. Uh, Belly added that everyone was relieved to do the other outdoor scenes because they were getting really tired of that green light.
1: <laughs> it was actually, a, like, I think they did a, an awesome job with the house. It it felt so open and warm, but it did feel cheap, like, affordable.
0: And yeah, the scenes that weren't supposed to take place at that house, like Sam arguing in her office and stuff, were also shot in that house.
1: Really? (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, they
0: had that one house, and then immediately outside.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, no, they got me. I didn't notice.
0: The Jazzercise sequence was not in the script and was added to provide a little aesthetic diversity to a story that had no changes in setting. (laughs) Belly said that everyone on set binged 80s music videos and exercise tapes to choreograph the segment together. He cites it as the funnest moments of the shoot.
1: That's amazing! (laughs) They did it as a family!
0: Yeah, that's what I keep hearing about, you know, actors who are in projects, whether it's films or plays, is just like, everyone becomes a family for the months or weeks that are needed to put it together, and then after that it all dissolves and everyone goes their separate ways, so it's, it's, it's happy-sad, it's a bittersweet thing. Uh, the music for the film, uh, since there are a lot of flashbacks that take place like eight years before, uh, Belly tried to cheaply acquire a pop hit that was ubiquitous in that time period. Fortunately for him, the band Bastille really liked a rough cut of Gatlop and licensed Pompeii for next to nothing.
1: I mean, that really did date it for me when they were doing the flashback. I was like, oh yeah, that song.
0: Yeah, that that, that chanting thing. That was all over the goddamn radio in like, what, 2012?
1: And you couldn't get away from it.
0: Yeah. Ew, ew. The original score was composed by Kenny Wood, who befriended Belly in film school and had collaborated with him on many projects since, alongside Mahoney. Wood claims the title sequence has his favorite piece of the Gatlob score, as it isn't meant to accompany any acting and therefore was able to exist for its own sake. Uh, he compared it to the work of Danny Elfman, and yeah, strong Danny Elfman vibes in that.
2: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah, they also gave it another bit of 80s sheen. Uh, there were no live instruments due to cost in the score, but Wood tried to make the score of Vince's traditional symphonic movie soundtracks regardless. It is kind of all over the place because it's a horror comedy and there are a lot of cues in it. Like, sometimes um, Wood has to uh, add a bit of jolt to a jump scare. And then in the other moments he's, he has to do, like, okay, this guy got an arrow through the leg, but the scene's supposed to be funny anyways.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> he did a nice job. He only has a couple of other scores under his belt. He did um, Scream. Not the original Scream, the, the fifth one.
1: Oh, I liked the fifth one.
0: Looking at his other things, he does mostly video games and apparently uh, horror movies like him now.
1: I am happy with his connection. That's great.
0: (laughs) All right, uh, let's break down the cast. Uh, First off, we have Jim Mahoney as Paul. It's tough to talk about this because these characters are douchebags, but I think the actors are likable as them.
2: Yeah, that's a fair statement. (laughs)
0: Also, I think it's weird, like, particularly for Jim, like, they give him these gray streaks and these patches of gray in his facial hair, and uh, he doesn't have it in the flashbacks, and it it feels a little painted on. I don't actually know what this guy looks like. Maybe he actually is gray, but he looks like he's about my age.
1: Do you think that, like, they're just, like, using, like, mascara or something to, like, dye the gray back to... (sighs)
0: I'm under the impression that they put gray mascara on his on his chin whiskers because it's inconsistent. Sometimes it's there and sometimes it isn't even in the present day. Okay. Maybe it depends on the lighting. There's a lot of bovist green lighting in this.
2: I was not paying that much attention to his facial hair. <laughs> <laughs> I was mostly, honestly, distracted by how cool Sam's hairstyle was. Oh my god, I love both of them.
0: Speaking of which, uh, Emmy Raver-Lampman as Sam. Mahoney and Belly, both in their respective interviews, and I read several, consider um, Raver-Lampman to be the biggest get for the cast. They were pleasantly surprised that she was into the script and was available.
2: I think that she had definitely the tougher scenes to do, and she was delightful.
1: Her physical acting when she was playing Troy, like playing her, like Troy playing her, like in her body, that was awesome.
0: Yeah, there's a sequence uh, that I neglected to mention in the plot recap where after one lie too many, Sam and Troy switch bodies and then they are, are speaking with each other's voices for the uh, duration. And uh, yeah, they start like acting like each other in their physical mannerisms and it was very well done.
1: I love when actors do that. It makes me so happy, like weirdly happy. <laughs>
0: Raver Lampin has the largest pedigree of any of the main actors in this. She's mostly a stage actress, hence the physical acting. Uh, her breakthrough was in Hair. Uh, she was in a touring production of Hamilton. Although, when she was cast, Mahoney mostly knew her from the Umbrella Academy. Oh,
1: I
2: haven't seen that one yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've only seen a couple episodes, but that's why she looked familiar. Yeah,
0: I haven't seen any of it because I didn't really like the graphic novels that much, but, yeah, it's another episode. <laughs> We have John Bass as Cliff, or it might be Bass. I should have looked that up. Oh, well. He was Cliff.
1: Which one was Cliff? Was he the one who owned the house? Uh, Yes. Okay. I just felt bad for him. I feel like nobody respected him at all in his friend group.
0: Yeah, he's supposed to be like the the loser with no direction, and also just kind of like the funny one, but not really on purpose. I
1: yeah, a little sad. He good lines though.
0: If he was twenty four. He'd just be straight up comic relief, but he's a fair bit older than that. Probably should have gotten his shit together by now. And that does seem to be everybody
2: the, has a friend like that. Yeah,
0: it does seem to be the type of character that he plays. Although I've only ever seen him in one other thing, because you know, She Hulk.
2: I still haven't watched it yet. I watched
1: and I can't even picture him in She-Hulk.
0: He's the bad guy who runs the forum, Hulk King?
1: Oh my gosh, he completely, like, it's faceless. I'm like, I remember (laughs) that was the character, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a very similar character to Cliff, isn't it?
1: Yeah, no, it's true. Probably a week from now, Cliff won't have a face anymore.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then finally, we have uh, Seronis J. Jackson as Dominic Troy. <laughs> <laughs> he's a he
2: handsome has man. Such a distracting voice. He's so pretty. Yeah,
0: he's a big, handsome dude with this deep voice, and he has to be vulnerable a lot, which a guy who looks like that and talks like that often isn't in film and television. So it was a little surprising to see him go there, but he pulled it off.
2: I I really liked the introduction where we're getting to know all of the characters and he gets the discounted price for flirting with the cashier.
0: <laughs> pretty guy who's failing as an actor. You get that dry cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing, this movie is 80 minutes including the credits, so it has to establish who these people are real quick.
1: And he is the pretty friend. <laughs>
0: uh gatlop was picked up for distribution by xyz films a sales company that mostly focuses on high concept genre films it is responsible for the american distributions of the raid tusk i kill giants and mandy
1: yeah that fits right in with those (laughs) uh
0: it was released to streaming on june 23rd uh, 2022 Reviews were mixed, but horror-centric critics were a bit more positive-leaning. Most of the praise was focused on the intriguing premise, uh, the creative application of an obvious micro-budget, and the overall sense of humor. And as I said before, uh, whether they um, liked or disliked the movie seemed to hinge on whether they found the characters to be endearing in a relatable way or a bit much.
1: It's like, um, all those TV shows that were popular, like How I Met Your Mother or something, where, like, the friend group all kind of suck a little bit, but, like, these ones are in an evil Jumanji.
0: None of them are as terrible in retrospect as Barney, but I see where you're coming from. Okay, for themes, uh, the first thing I wrote down was growing apart. People and the universe in general are always changing. Things are constantly breaking down, drifting apart, and becoming more chaotic. Uh, This impermanence applies to all things, including relationships. High school and college all but forces people into close relationships that feel perpetual at the time, but the removal of the structure that forged these relationships can cause people to, you know, grow distant. This is compounded by adult responsibilities like employment, marriage, having children, and so on. It's relatively easy for four teenagers to meet up for a game night every week, but it's much more difficult for four grown-ass people, especially if they move to opposite corners of the country after they graduated. The main characters in Gatlaw both don't know each other anymore and also know far too much about each other to be comfortable. The sensation is relatable to many adults. We've all had relationships that puttered out for seemingly no reason than standard attrition. We've all had awkward conversations with people that we used to be super close to. I know I held this person's hand when they ugly cried after their first serious breakup. Why am I now running out of things to say to this person after 10 minutes?
1: You just duck down an aisle and you see them at the store, that's all. I've crab walked away from people in a target before. I'm like, no, I'm not doing this today.
0: I can't say I've crab walked. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like sleeper, just like whoop sideways, immediately down, hide behind the person that's putting the stuff out, like their cart. Like, nope, mm
0: See, I was thinking of like the Axl Rose crab walk. Oh. Like
1: <laughs> <laughs> No, it's like whoop 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 whoop. <laughs>
0: And, uh...
1: (laughs) I derail
0: you on that one. And when the characters talk about how they don't really interact with each other anymore, I thought it was pointed that, like, Dominic Troy blames (laughs) Alice for doing that because, like, as soon as Paul married Alice, he just sort of cut them out of his life. And uh, you sort of get that during the party scene where, like, Alice storms out and she's vague about why she wants to leave. But, like, once Paul catches on, she's like, well, my, my ritzy cool friends are having a party. Let's go to that instead. So that kind of gives a wedge to it. And I, I didn't write down her name on the cast breakdown, which I kind of should have, but um, Shelly Henning is Alice. Uh, when I read the reviews, some people are like, yeah, she's such an easy-to-despise ice queen and so many other what? things that getting her in this is just kind of like a layup. And I do think that Alice had a bit more depth than those reviews pointed out.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Like, because, well, she was shitty to Paul, and she wasn't faithful to him, and she left him for this very rough-looking 49-year-old, even <laughs> even as everything was fumbling apart, she still seemed to care about him a little bit and asked how he was doing and stuff like that. And also what struck me is like, you know, during the, uh, hey, you look good with a suntan scene, you know, she still hands him the papers and then afterwards is like, so you guys going to reconcile? And he's like, oh, hell no. Like, they don't seem to hate each other anymore, but they realize that they shouldn't be together. Like, that's pretty mature for a film like this.
1: Yeah, I liked the scene where um, she was like, you know, I'm I'm sorry, and he was like, yeah, I'm so, like, yeah, that that whole scene by the car, like it was a good scene where they both admitted that there was something, you know, wrong with the situation.
2: I also liked when she was the possessed demon.
0: Yeah, those scenes were fun. I mean, she gets to wear this cool red dress for one thing. It was but the so bi-
2: flowy. And the best line of the movie, like, you know, you're not good people or bad people. You're just people. She it, delivered that well. It,
1: oh, I think the best line of this movie was, come back from hell, Paul. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, but the one where she's on the
0: swing and she's just kind of glib but in a chipper way. That was that was nice work. That was more than what the script needed. She just added a little extra. <laughs> yeah, the other thing I wrote down was Nostalgia. Yeah, this again. Millennials were raised with the expectation that we'd get a future far less safe and comfortable than what our parents were promised. And maybe that's why, or at least part of why, we look back so often. Belly and Mahoney, for one thing. This is another thing, this movie was written, produced, directed completely by Millennials. Belly was 35 while they were shooting this, which is very young for a director, especially since this is his first movie. Also, for a first movie, this is very well done, and the fact that it took place in this claustrophobic setting, there were all these, like, pans and dolly shots that sort of kept things interesting, even without the jazzercise bit thrown in. Nice job, Billy. I'm looking forward to seeing more from you.
1: And, um, the, the green light that you were talking about earlier, I like when it was chasing them <laughs> from window to window. That really was, uh, was very cute.
0: Yeah, that had a, like, nice little Sam Raimi touch to it. Ooh, yeah.
1: Very much so.
0: Uh, Belly and Mahoney cite millennial childhood staples, particularly Jumanji. They couldn't avoid that comparison, so they brought it up in every interview before the interviewer could <laughs> as conscious influence. But their core template, however, they cited was pulled from Amblin films like E.T., The Goonies, and Gremlins, which is just like your A1 millennial nostalgia bait. Gatlop exists to ask how things would go down if the hopeful preteens of an Amblin feature had to go through a fantastical adventure if they were instead jaded 30 somethings with added reflux and broken dreams.
1: That's dark.
0: I mean, this is a point we've raised before, but people tend to get nostalgic when they're cycling through major life events, like going to college, having a kid, and so on. It's natural to look back and reflect at big transitional stages like this, you know, the fear and doubt that comes with moments like this which have the newness and the uncertainty to them in the face of the unknown, and that can be mitigated by revisiting the comforts of youth and i would say a messy divorce certainly qualifies as an example of this phenomenon a lot of people go through their first messy divorce and they're like thirty four and that's when you go back to amblin or maybe that um fantasy board game movie Maybe um, Gattlove also works as a metafictional deconstruction of this phenomenon. At least that's what I thought before I even saw the damn thing. <laughs> but once again, I think that held that holds up. Although that might just be speaking to me coming in with preconceived notions and deciding that the movie has them.
2: Yeah, I I, I hear that part. I think that held up better than uh, your synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't that bad. It's definitely not as smooth as it normally is.
0: <laughs> yeah, it turns out that uh I, I don't I don't talk as good if I don't write a script for myself beforehand. Who to thunk it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Alright, well that's everything I thought to write down about Gatlop. Uh is there anything that uh you, Sylvan, or you, Cheryl, who picked this movie would like to add before we sign off?
1: Alright, so I first saw this movie like three months ago and I saw it with my um husband and a friend of mine. And not a single one of us could pronounce the name of this movie properly after two days. Like we had to try to figure it out looking it up online with like seven different examples before we finally found it. So I'm just very excited to see if you guys are going to get Goat Lap or any of the other ones like a week from now.
0: I mean, they call it Gatlop in the stated text of the movie.
1: I know, but we couldn't remember it. It just, like, was one of the first things that, like, fell out of our brains. And it wasn't just me. And I'm used to it just being me. So I'm, like, waiting for you guys because you guys have scary, like, recall.
2: Oh, not not since COVID. My brain is mush now. Oh. Ah, well, my worldview has changed. <laughs>
0: Yes and no, we'll see. You, you can quiz me next week when we're uh, recording something else.
1: I'm not going to remember until you post this episode, and then I'll be like, damn it, Ryan, you cheated.
0: Well, you know, ask me to pronounce Gatlop, or tell me that Beef did nothing wrong.
1: Oh, yay, you remember! <laughs>
0: All right, if that's that. Thanks for listening to this, and uh, join us next time for something else.